The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm, Chapter 20 The Cleric and the Halfling The group sat within the chamber. There was no light, because the oil was nearly gone, and there was no need to see. The elf, Kai, was the only one who had vision in the dark, and so he was positioned as their lookout by the door. Temek and Len were with the wounded. There were so many and all of their number had fallen to the malady which the cleric and the halfling opposed by way of near ceaseless prayer. So let me get this straight, said the halfling. You serve two divine beings, God, who is the God of Abraham, and Luna, the embodiment of fertility and nature. How does that work? How can you give yourself to more than one god? Don't they get jealous of each other? Each knows that the other calls to me, said Len. I keep no secrets from either of them. Yeah, said the halfling. But if you give your whole heart to Luna, then there's nothing left for God. And if you give only half to each, then isn't that insulting? Even dangerous? Len paused then said, The more I give, the more I have to give. The more I love, the more my heart grows. I become more, and we all share in that. Well, I don't know, said Temek. They are my parents, said Len finally. One mother and one father. I love both of them and they care for me. We are one family. Len and Temek returned to their mission, for the working to cast out the, the heaviness that has forever. subjugated the tribe. Amen. Later, Temek helped Len to bind her bone cross again, this time Our with leather straps, before practicing be his prayers with her. After a while, the halfling, in deep thought, looked at last in Len's direction. So, two can really work? He said curiously, and Len voiced her assent as she nodded. Well, I'd never even imagined it, said Temek, laughing to himself. <laughs> but I guess gods and goddesses have no limits. Nor the heart, said Len smiling. They said another prayer together, and Temek thanked her for the lesson. Maybe, said Temek, now feeling curious and hopeful. I mean, if you think it would be okay, maybe you could tell me more about your goddess, too. Greetings. Travelers of the maze. This way, follow me. Tonight I show you the secret place where great treasure is held. 
here. It is the Onyx Vault. Inside are kept pre-release versions of all future episodes of the Iron Realm, full chapters of the adventure in progress, available only to the greatest friends of the show. Also kept inside is the Iron Realm Written Guide. It has a name now. Behold the Iron Realm Solitaire Essentials and Gaming Guide. The definitive guide, it is here. Finished. Composed for you in a clear digital format. Its secrets can be yours. Visit patreon.com slash the Iron Realm to gain access to the Onyx Vault and all the treasures within. Imagine the power. The Iron Realm Solitaire, Essentials, and Gaming Guide. Plus, the ability to hear pre-release versions of new chapters from the Iron Realm before anybody else on the planet. Show your support for the show and be rewarded. Please note, there will generally be between one and four chapters in the Onyx Vault during any given month, as well as one Iron Realm written offering. Access to the Onyx Vault is a gift from your Maze Master and appreciation for exemplary support of the Iron Realm. I thank you for your generosity and for your brave exploits in defense of the Iron Realm. The Iron Realm, copyright A.B. Lenzo, is the world's first play-by-podcast RPG campaign. A portion of tonight's female voice performance was drawn from audio originally created by and offered by Ashley Eddy through freesound.org under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Further information can be found at theironrealm.com or at theironrealm.blogspot.com under this episode's show notes. My sincere thanks as well to you, Ashley, for your masterful contribution to the Iron Realm cause. Tribal Matters Deep within the maze, level Alpha 1. It is 2 p.m. on the ninth day of Primaris. The Vanguard has had food, drink, and rest, and are being led through the dark by Stockholm with no light. A negative four blindness penalty applies to the humans who must be led through the dark by the dwarf and the elves. 
The available spells are as follows. Treya, Aura against evil. Orson, invisible shield. Further, the group is diseased. And, due to their fatigue, will suffer additional penalties if they are caught in combat. By 2.20, at 31 across, 13 down, at the crossroads, a roaming creature's check is indicated. Creatures are at a distance of 120 feet and are coming from the east. A surprise check for the group. A four, not surprised. And for the creatures? A one, surprised. The thieves get a listen check to determine the direction from which the threat comes. Echo realizes that the threat comes from the east and whispers this to Stockholm. Carefully, he guides the group to the south, whilst next moving west at the base of the T. The creatures approaching are faster than they are, but because they are far off, it is at least possible that they will not catch sight of Stockholm and his group a roll on a d4 to determine direction. The distant creatures turn to the north at the crossroads, whilst Iona, Stockholm, and the others safely avoid a confrontation. Into the maze they continue. At 23 across, 15 down, at approximately 3.20 p.m., another group of roaming creatures is shown upon the dice. Surprise for the group. Not surprised. For the creatures? Also not surprised. We retreat, says Stockholm, and the group backtracks towards the door of room number seven, the Goblin Refuse Pit. If we could get inside, says Stockholm, but his words are cut short as suddenly the group is under attack. Screeching and screaming, giant winged forms are upon them. No, says Stockholm. The light, quick, the light. But it is too late. The battle has been joined. Personas. Tonight we dare to peer beneath the mask. Tonight's profile, the rogue called Echo. She is a human female, 18 years old, with pale, gray-white skin. Echo has short, black hair, and her eyes are gray-blue. Echo is 5 foot 7 inches tall and weighs 99 pounds. She is level 1 and possesses 5 life points. Echo's preferred armor is any kind of cloak, 
especially one she can use to blend with her surroundings and avoid being seen. Her preferred weapon is any form of poison dagger. Echo has a strength of 8, a dexterity of 13, a constitution of 13, a charisma of 8, an intelligence of 11, and a wisdom of 8. Description Echo is a small, weak-looking girl. Her limbs seem fragile, and her body is frightfully slight from lack of food. Echo's face is pale, and her eyes are somewhat sunken. Echo's head is usually hung low, and she tends not to make eye contact with others. When she smiles, it is like a thin mask, worn over sadness. Personality Echo has lived too long a time alone in the dark. In another place, she may have thrived on human contact, but in this place, she has been starved of it. This, paired with the constant threat of death from life in the tunnels, has badly scarred Echo psychologically. She is uncommunicative. She has little joy. Echo reacts reflexively to most situations. She is suspicious that contact with others is a trap, that there is always another opportunity to be hurt physically, mentally, or emotionally. Echo has grown cautious of these situations and will often lash out with the intent to harm before she can be harmed. She values her isolation, which she believes makes her strong. Combat. Echo secretly fears death and also fears combat, but she turns her feelings into anger, which she uses against her enemies. Echo prefers to hide in shadows and strike her opponents unaware with her backstab attack, and some of her methods are more questionable still. She is not against killing those who are helpless if she considers them to be even a potential threat. Echo and Kailana. Echo remembers almost nothing of her life before the goblins took her, and by then she had descended into an almost completely savage state. The goblins first intended to kill her for food, but fortunately, or perhaps unfortunately for Echo, they discovered that she could be made to respond to the lash. In this way, she was not totally useless as a slave. Like a trained animal, Echo did what she was forced to do, though she always had a boiling inner wish to strike out against and murder her captors or herself. Neither opportunity arose. Echo fought with insanity until such a time as a second human slave was brought, Kaylana. Echo took pity on the other girl, who to her seemed weaker. Echo tried to take care of the other girl by bringing dead rodents and cradling her close as if Kaylana were her own child. Kaylana, who was afraid of her at first, began to rely on Echo's strength under adversity, and over years, the two became close. The way that Kaylana reciprocated Echo's feelings allowed Echo to re-experience what was left of her own humanity. And in this way did she come back from the brink of madness. Caring for another had given her the outlet she needed to avoid self-destruction. Kaylana and Len. The first human Echo ever knew was Kaylana, and the second was Len, 
both of whom were in pitiful states when they were brought to the pits. Her usual malice was replaced with pity. Fate had given her a chance to break free from her self-made chains. Echo found that she could love them in her way, though perhaps part of her comfort in doing so was in the fact that she considered herself to be in the position of strength while they were in the position of weakness. Family! Echo feels an almost primal connection to her party as if they are her pack. She is most fiercely loyal to Kaylana, who she feels possessive of, and Len, who she also considers hers. The men she is either afraid of or in awe of, but has come to respect them as protectors. She has a similar awe of Treya, who she looks to almost as a mother figure whom she wants to please. Current. Echo stays with her tribe for protection. There is much in the world that she still fears. The fact that these people have freed her from the goblins has lessened Echo's natural suspicion, though she is still deciding whether she can truly trust them. However, her fear of facing death or capture alone again in the Iron Realm outweighs her fear of being hurt by others of her kind. And this, more than anything, has convinced her to stay among these others for now. The marching order of the group is as follows. In the front, Stockholm and Iona. At the center, Echo and Treya. In the back, Paola and Orson. The vanguard has been struck from behind as three leather-winged creatures swoop down upon them, screaming, emaciated, feral, and out for blood. It has been decided that neither side has succumbed to surprise, but as Stockholm shouts for the torch, the confrontation proceeds. Initiative. The Vanguard. A six. Their opponents. A three. Echo is quick to get her torch burning, and she counts three giant bats swooping down upon them. The armor value of the bats is six, and Treya, ready with her polearm, strikes out at one immediately. Suffering from the malady, Treya requires a 14. Treya is sweating and fevered, so the point of her polearm misses the creature by two feet. Orson likewise needs a 14, and swings at the bat in front of him with his sword. With a 15, his blade slices true and he has dealt six damage to the screaming bat. Bad, creature. Paola, due to her developing strength, has a bonus of one to hit in melee, although this is canceled. 
by the malady that she is suffering. Normally, she would need a 13 to strike a bat, but I'm reducing it further to a 15 since the torch has only just been lit. She swings. And she strikes. Paola follows through with the blade, dealing seven points and slaying one of the bats. Meanwhile, Stockholm and Iona are out of reach, and they cannot contribute to the fight. Yet Iona has managed to open the door to room seven, the goblin refuse chamber, allowing her and Stockholm to retreat inside. It is now time for the bats to make a bravery check. Two six-sided dice versus the bats' bravery of eight. With a seven, the bats will not flee. Indeed, they are ever more ready for the fight. The first bat swoops in against Paola, and her armor value is a six. The bat needs a twelve to sink its teeth in. Eighteen. It has dodged in amongst the flurry of swords, lighted upon her back, and driven its teeth into the back of her neck. Piola takes three damage before the bat flaps away again. The second bat homes in on Echo. Her armor value is a six. And in fact, I must drop it to an eight due to the fact that the torch has only just been lit. A ten or better by the bat will strike her. A twelve. Down upon her it goes, and she waves with the torch, trying to ward it off, but she does not succeed. The giant bat grapples to the front of her, and she suffers four damage as its teeth rend her and as it takes blood from her collar. Round two, initiative, vanguard. A two, the bats. A three. Using her torch, Echo tries to fight the bat off of her body, yet the bat is determined to hold on and take her life. To do so, it must roll a successful attack. A ten is not enough. Confronted with a fire right in its face, it must attach and fly free of her. While the next bat descends upon Orson, taking its opportunity while it may. An eleven. Orson raises his shield, bashing the bat away before it can strike him. Enough, I say. With the bats still on attack, the group retaliates. First, Treya with her polearm. Fatigued from the malady, she needs a 14. And she fails with a 4. Next, Orson, also needing a 14. 7. The male elf can contribute nothing. And last, there is Paola with her sword. Yet having only a 5, she is too slow. All their reflexes have been impacted 
by the disease they suffer. And yet they take advantage of a strategic retreat, joining Stockholm and Iona in the refuse chamber. Round three, initiative. The vanguard. A four, the bats. A five. Driven by their hunger, with speed as their advantage, the bats wing it quickly into the refuse room. The first bat descends upon Paola with her armor value of four. Yet it cannot strike her as the elf girl dodges aside. She stands tall, swinging her sword, trying to ward off the second bat as well. It descends upon her, for the smell of her blood is in the air. Fourteen. The bat scratches at her with its talons. And Paola loses a further four life points. The girl's vision goes red. And she can feel herself slowing down through the haze. Yet she finds the strength to hoist her blade and returns a vicious swing against the bat. A three. She sinks to her knees, trying to clear her head, while Stockholm runs up from the side to defend her. The huge battle axe is unwieldy, and it cuts the air far from the bat. Yet soon, Iona is there, and she makes a swing as well. Eighteen. She deals two damage to the bat, though it appears she has merely grazed it. Treya follows suit, reaching with her polearm for the first bat that comes close. With a 14, she succeeds. Seven points against the same bat. Echo finds her feet and swings with her torch. She is taking a minus one to the melee because of the malady, and a further minus one, for the strength of the rogue is not great. She needs a 15, a two, not nearly enough. Last of all is Orson, who takes a swing with his sword. A two for him, a failure. In the stench of the trash heap, the bats flutter rapidly, eager to have their prey. Round four, the vanguard. A six, the bats. A two, Paola swings. An eleven, still not enough, suffering from a loss of blood. She is still dizzy and has rolled only an 11. Orson comes to help her, and with a 17 lands a strike with his sword, Here I am. dealing 5 damage and slowing one of the bats before it can approach. Treya swings with her polearm, but scores only a 6. Echo with her torch. A 2, again, not nearly enough. Iona approaches with her sword and succeeds with an 18. She deals two points to the second bat, who continues to fight on. Finally, Stockholm with his battle axe, 
A two. The group has failed again to ward off the bats, and they return. The first bat against Stockholm. A ten is enough to strike him, for he is not armored well. Stockholm suffers three damage. The next bat swoops on Echo, yet is unable to get close with only a two. Final round. Initiative. The group. A three. The bats. A two. Stockholm swings against his bat in retribution. Yet he can not even clip it. Iona, with her sword, helps the dwarf out. Yet with a four, she cannot do more. Treya squints through the haze, thrusting with her polearm. Seventeen. And at three life points, skewers a bat clean through. Echo fights the remaining bat with her torch. But an eleven is not enough. Finally, Orson, with an eight, fails, and Paola, with a seven, fails. Yet it is time for the final bat to make a bravery check. Two six-sided dice, an eight. The bat flees in terror, leaving the vanguard behind. I'm dropping sixty level points into the level point pool. For the vanguard, the group has been badly hurt by the bats, with more than one member nearly losing their lives. Yet there is no time to waste. The group must push on. You have been listening to the Iron Realm. If you would like to show your appreciation and support new episodes of the Iron Realm, visit Patreon.com/theIronRealm and be you rewarded. You can also give a gift at DriveThroughRPG.com using Pay What You Want, or by taking a share of premium soft cover books, eBooks, and gaming aids for your Iron Realm. Collection, and don't forget to leave your five-star reviews at iTunes at DriveThroughRPG.com and beyond. Finally, tell your friends and spread the word about the world's first play-by-podcast RPG audio drama. Do what you can to ensure the continuance of the realm. Your fellow travelers. And your maze master, thank you. From the eternal depths of the Iron Realm, I have been your maze master, Abel Enzo. Remember, play hard or go home. Iron Realm. Good night, everyone.